1: Welcome back to the Leaving Eden podcast. My name is Gabriel Hacohen, aka Gavi. Call me Gavi. We're friends. You can call me that. I'm here, as always, with my BFF and co-host Sadie Carpenter, the survivor of the independent Fundamental Baptist cult that I know so well. Sadie, how are you doing today?
2: I am doing great, and I am ready to talk about trauma. You are? Oh yeah. Also, a lot is of it- stuff too, like. So today we're talking about some really heavy trauma, but I get to tell a lot of really fun stories as well.
1: Okay, well that's good. We like that.
2: Yeah, we're gonna do both, which is kind of our thing.
1: Yeah, isn't it? Um yeah, because it's it's summer. We're talking about summer camp.
2: Yes, indeed.
1: Alright, so um we have a lot to get into, so I'm just going to uh go right ahead and get into the spiel of the Leaving Eden podcast is the podcast about my BFF and co-host Sadie Carpenter's life in and escape from the independent fundamental Baptist cult we talk about this cult we talk about other cults we talk about religion we talk about fundamentalism we talk about the real and present threat that cults and cult ideologies pose to society as a whole and it is our goal to promote freedom of mind freedom of thought and freedom of religion so if you like our show if you are a fan of our show there's a couple of things you can do to support us you can join our Patreon which is patreon.com slash leaving eden podcast where there are extended and uncensored versions of most of our episodes if you liked our recent plathville episodes there are extended versions of those that you can check out super fun um there's an extended version of our drinking episode there's an extended version of our dating episode you can join our facebook group which is facebook.com groups slash eden exodus you can join our subreddit, which is reddit.com slash r slash Eden Exodus. Oh, we're in the middle of doing our how to series. So we did our episodes on how to drink. We did our episode on how to date. Um, Next week we have an episode coming out. We're going to talk about how to dance among other things. We have uh, other things going on with that, but if you want to ask us any questions about how to do specific things in particular, you can send us those questions because we're going to try to do a Q&A episode if we, if we get enough questions. We Send those, though, to leavingedenpod at gmail.com. Sadie, uh, is there anything else that I've got to to say before?
2: I don't think so. I think you can go into uh, thanking our Faith Promise Missions tier patrons, and we can get on with the show.
1: We have two of them in the I Gave It All tier. That is Kathleen Moncrief. Who has been supporting our show for quite some time? I think since we like,
2: yeah, ooh. Kathleen is a longtime supporter.
1: Kathleen is an OG who leader. wanted
2: to hear us say some very sketchy things on hot mics.
1: All the stuff that we say that we absolutely would not put on a regular recording uh, is is stuff that goes on the the I gave it all tier <laughs> <laughs> supercut, which uh, we have one section out now, and then another section is coming soon for the two of you. That have subscribed to it because there are two of them. There's That's Kathleen Moncrief and there's Melissa Mosley, Melissa Mosley, the excellent person. Uh, we don't know ye, but we would like to know you. We have, we haven't, Um, you're, you're a new patron. So we haven't actually had the wonderful opportunity to meet you at our patron zoom hangout. Um, We'll do another one time, of those soon. Next time we have one for sure. We will be, meeting you and learning all about you and and your wonderfulness but on to our faith promise missions to your patrons there are many of them numerous in number uh alex todd anisha patel Brittany, brooke tolly carrie r chrisa crystal patterson eleanor donahue elizabeth deworth emery fairlosser Hannah Ross, Hope Norum, Jen Kaharski, Jessica Tambo, Tambo like Rambo, K-Tur-Wee, k Ter Katherine Schneider, Kristen Marie, Linda Morgan, Lindsey Goss, Lorena Watson, Michaela Upright, Madeline Antrim, Madeline Cusick, Mary Martin, a.k.a. the actor who played Peter Pan on Broadway, Megan Arendt, Mike Smith, Miranda Day, Rachel Bernadowitz, Rebecca Hoyt, Reverend Robert Stutz, Sarah Ricci, Shane Horton, Stephanie Johnson, Susie, the one and only Susie, Tiffany Enderby, Enderby, great name. Walnut, son of Walnut. West the Cowboy and Sadie's actual BFF Morgan. Thank you all so very much. Yeah, thank you, thank you so much you.
2: to our I gave it all tier patrons and our Faith Promise Missions tier patrons and all of our wonderful patrons on Patreon. You all are the MVPs who carry our team.
1: Seriously, we would not actually be able to make the show that we make without you guys. We would not be able to justify putting the time into it that we put into it. If yeah, uh, if
2: if you if like these hour and a half, two hour, big meaty episodes, thank the patrons.
1: That's all we have to do. Okay, well. Then oh, oh! Don't... I have
2: to do the trigger warning. Don't you? We're not. We're not with it today, folks.
1: No, that's we're okay. Not.
2: So, in general, we talk about a lot of potentially triggering topics on this show including but not limited to suicide and mental health, racism, misogyny, PTSD and PTSD symptoms, child abuse, mental, physical and sexual abuse and spiritual abuse, including guilt, shame and fear. In most episodes, at least a few of these topics will come up in conversation. We don't give any specific or graphic detail on these topics unless it's highly relevant to the story we're telling. And if we are going to give specifics or graphic details, we give you an additional trigger warning right before we do that so you can skip if you need to. This episode today is about church camp, and I'm actually going to be sharing a lot of happy and fun and humorous memories. There is going to be discussion of being emotionally manipulated as a child. We're going to talk about cry night and the pressure to make decisions The discussion of kids feeling inordinate amounts of guilt for their supposed sins. Uh, We're going to talk about salvation doubt, which is it was really hard for me to make my notes. So I assume it's going to be hard for some of you as well. And we're going to talk about the fear of loved ones going to hell. All of that is confined pretty much to one part of the episode. Most of this episode is very light and fluffy.
1: Now, Sadie, it is getting towards the end of summer. And this time, all you know, it always makes me think back to when I was a kid, because this was the time when we had the most freedom, you know, the least scheduled time, the most time to just kind of like run around the neighborhood, play sports, ride bikes, that sort of thing. I, so I was wondering what summer was like for you.
2: We, I did get a lot of freedom as an IFB kid growing up during the summer because we had school, school, not homeschool. Um, I know that a lot of homeschool kids had to work year round, which sounds like it stinks. Uh, I had a lot of time to ride my bike around on the church property where I lived. My family also went to the library a lot. Uh, I did end up burning my library card and (laughs) no longer going to the library when I was like 16, maybe 17, because I got convicted by the Holy Spirit because I was reading dirty books like young adult fiction where people had unholy crushes on each other and sometimes did premarital kissing
1: heavens to betsy
2: yes very very (laughs) shocking but summer camp was Uh, definitely the highlight of every summer for us it was the best week of the summer
1: the best week of the summer oh yeah you loved it loved it so I also loved going to summer camp. Did you so did you just go during the day or was it like a sleepaway camp? Because I would I would go to both.
2: Yeah, I never went to a just at the day camp. I think that the correlation in IFB world is vacation bible school church camp though was always a sleepaway camp and the one that i went to it would be monday through friday for one week
1: yeah like because i would go to like you know baseball camp or soccer camp in the summer you know that sort of thing Mm -hmm. um so you were growing up at this time were you in where were you in in, st louis uh, area st louis area okay so was the summer camp like out in the country
2: yeah the camp that we went to was in kansas I know I've said Nebraska on the podcast before, and then I listened back to it, and I thought, where the heck did that come from? Because it was not in Nebraska. It was it was in Kansas.
1: Extremely similar places. Easy to get them mixed up. They're both full of corn, very flat. Roads are very straight.
2: Well, a lot of the friends that I went to camp with came from Nebraska. So people, IFB kids, came from all over the Midwest to go to this one particular camp. It was only uh, about an hour away from Kansas City and maybe 15 minutes away from a mid-sized Kansas town, which is a tiny town anywhere else. So it wasn't <laughs> that far out in the country. It felt very isolated, though. If you think of how like, when you're up at the Rose Garden, it's really easy to forget that you are a mile from a major downtown area. It felt like that. It felt like it was way out in the country, but it actually wasn't all that isolated.
1: Yeah, I know. I know what you're talking about. I actually drove through Kansas like a year and a half ago. It's very flat. Um, <laughs> it's, Extremely. It's ex- the, the sort of thing. It's very soothing though. You know what I'm saying? Like yes. if you just, I so I drove out there in the spring and, you know, I took one road, like it just very straight. And it was like, you know, you would just see like the red barn and the fields full of cows and corn. And you're just like, Wow. This is so nice. Mm-hmm. Um so no hate on anybody from the Midwest, anybody from Kansas. It's not
2: uh, my it's not my favorite part of the country visually, but I I really enjoy small town Midwest people and their kind of attitude on life. It can be really good.
1: Oh, the people there were lovely to me. They, that's all I've a lot that's of them just lovely. really
2: truly are very um charitable and hospitable people
1: yes uh my impression is exactly so um i know many of our listeners um including myself now have seen the film the the documentary jesus camp
2: yes i have not
1: <laughs> you, okay so you've not seen it
2: i have seen parts of it uh i have multiple times attempted to watch all the way through and i just cannot it is you know i deal with triggers really well i can listen to jack Scott speaking um if i hear his voice out of nowhere I, it doesn't go over well with me but if i know like if i click on a video of him speaking on purpose it's fine for some reason jesus camp is one of the most triggering things in the world to me
1: so i was gonna ask if the camp you went to was anything like Jesus so it's that accurate it's yeah. like that
2: so Ooh. the, the major difference is that the subjects of Jesus camp are charismatic Christians. So a lot of their practices like praying in tongues or The what they do with their body during worship is very different from the way that I grew up. But the similarities, like specifically the way that the kids are indoctrinated in the name of fun and the way that the children are emotionally, emotionally manipulated is so similar that I that's why I can't watch it. Like, that's what triggers me.
1: So like the techniques are all the same.
2: Yeah, like the the indoctrination techniques and the fact that they are being applied so heavily to little children.
1: I, so I remember when this movie came out, and I think I watched it then the, it, because it was like a big deal. It, it came out in like, I think, 05 or 06. And I was living in liberal Portland where, you know, the, the, everyone was like afraid of because uh, George Bush was the president. and We were all just like, oh, this is what the evangelicals want for the country. This is the future that the Republicans wanna like, you know. (laughs) Right. I mean, was I wrong? No. So this past week in preparation for this episode, I tried to watch the movie again. I don't have religious trauma. I wasn't indoctrinated as a child, and I found this movie to be triggering. So I don't know how or why, but like I needed to watch it in like 15-minute increments over the course of like three days so that. So, like, anybody who found this movie triggering who can't watch this movie, totally valid.
2: (laughs) I think it is just so disturbing to see the innocent belief of a child be exploited in that way.
1: It is. That's really it.
2: It is. It is just. It is so exploitative. And the children, you get a sense for how young they are in the video. I think we, we think, if I can kind of self-therapize for a second, we think of ourselves at 10 or 11 or 12 years old and we felt like we were so grown up. At least I did as like, as a 12 year old, I had a lot of near adult responsibilities and I thought of myself as almost a grown up. At 11 or 12 years old, when you look at it from an adult perspective, especially now that you and I are staring down the barrel of 30, um, you're welcome for that reminder. Yeah, uh, It's you're okay because I turned 31. <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I get to enjoy being 30 and having a best friend in his 20s for like three months. I just, I think... When we look at it from an adult perspective, and when I look at it now from a parent's perspective, you see how young the children are. And I I think that's what makes it... So disturbing because I realized that I was manipulated so severely when I was that young, and that and and that other children are going through that as well, and that breaks my heart. So we were going to talk, we were going to talk more about Jesus Camp, and now we're not going to do that. We're going to talk about my camp experience (laughs) because that was just a little bit too much for both of us. So the campground that I went to was Baptist. The whole like the people who owned it were IFB, but they like. Austin Forsyth's family, they rented out the campground to people from different denominations. So if you looked at pictures Mm. of the campground or if you looked at their schedule for the summer, some weeks it would be rented out by IFB people and all the pictures of them are girls in culottes and boys in long pants. Other weeks it would be rented out by Southern Baptist or like a non-denominational church and you'd see, oh, for this week, the camp rules are that, that shorts, anybody can wear shorts, but the shorts have to come down to your knee and tank tops have to have a wide strap on them and girls need to swim in a one, one piece bathing suit. So like it was the, the campground itself was IFB, but they rented to different Types of people. Our church went in with multiple other IFB churches from the Midwest and we all rented out the campground together. I think we would generally have between 100 and 200 kids there for both junior camp and teen camp. And then the, our youth pastors would get together and divide responsibilities and run the whole thing for the whole week that we were there.
1: You're going away. Was your dad also helping run it?
2: No. So okay. Some of the churches, especially churches that were too small to have a designated, youth pastor would send their pastor with their kids to camp. Our church just sent the youth pastor and my dad stayed at home to do his actual job.
1: I was wondering if you found because you're used to feeling like you're under a microscope being a PK Mm -hmm. because your dad wasn't there. Did you feel like that was lessened at all?
2: Nope. Being the pastor's kid is a full-time job.
1: (laughs) Even when the, the pastor's not around.
2: Right. Oh, no, especially when the pastor's not around. Oh, God. So, because I was the pastor's kid, I was the de facto leader for my entire church's delegation. Well, all the girls from my church. So, if our church sent 15 kids to camp, the assumption would be that their attitude and their behavior would mimic mine because I was the de facto leader, because of who my father was. So if I had a bad attitude, or if I broke any rules, I was not only in trouble for what I did, I was also in trouble for being a bad example to all the other kids. How old were you? This pressure was always there for me. Um, My dad became a senior pastor when I was eight, almost nine. He was an assistant pastor before that. But I feel like this pressure ramped up a lot more when i was a teenager going into teen camp they had separate so how they separated it uh junior camp was for kids going into second grade through going into sixth grade and then teen camp was kids going into seventh through going into 12th grade
1: if another kid from your church misbehaves is that are are you held responsible for that
2: not held responsible, more, like, partially blamed. I differentiate because when you say held responsible, that makes me think of, like, punishment or consequences, and it wasn't. So, some, you know, Jane from my church comes to camp with us, and Jane decides to do something horribly immoral, like, try to hold a boy's hand. I don't get punished. I just get blamed because if my attitude and my spirit were good enough, then Jane would have followed my example and not done that. Whoa, wow. So there was, there was the social and emotional consequence of being blamed or not to- told I wasn't good enough or treated differently by the leaders. And then I would also possibly miss out on getting a Christian spirit award at the end of camp which we had we had end of camp superlatives (laughs) that they were all about like who quoted the most bible verses or was the most perfect little ifb kid and i did win uh, several times so ifb church camp is an immersive ifb experience i kind of assume that your camps had like a packing list and a do not bring these things list
1: well i mean ours was it was like bring two weeks of clothes unless you want to do laundry like bring toothbrush and toothpaste. Uh, bring a stereo if you want. Bring board games, you know, card games, bathing suit, musical instruments, guitars, ukulele, stuff like that. And thing like on the don't bring list, it was like tobacco, drugs, alcohol, anything like anything like that. Like that, right? If it was something that we'd get in trouble for having at school, we weren't allowed to bring it.
2: Right. So, we had the tobacco, drugs, and alcohol on our Do Not Bring list, but we also had, like, other things that were on our t- our Do Not Bring list were any books other than the Bible, any clothing. Any books. Any books. It's a distraction. You're there to do Jesus stuff. Any clothing with brand names or logos on it or cartoon characters, any digital devices at all period cd players cassette players no media nothing nothing was there and then of course we had a really strict dress code but we'll talk about that um what was the consequence if you brought something off the do not bring list
1: off the do not bring list yeah well okay depends on what it was like so i was going to this camp when i was i i like between like 8th grade and 11th grade. And it really like if you say you brought a pocket knife. The sort of thing like you're not allowed to bring a pocket knife to school, but the camp counselor's probably wouldn't do anything if they saw you with a pocket knife, they'd probably just like be like, "You know, keep that in your bag or keep that in like a drawer in your dorm room until you go home or something like that." I don't think anybody got in trouble for like bringing weed or anything like if You got caught with weed or or something, you'd probably get sent home. Like, I don't know. The only time I remember somebody getting actually sent home, like, there was this kid who tried to break into the girls' dorms, Mm. but he was also the same guy. He ate a bunch of nutmeg at the dance party to try to get high. (laughs) And he spent the whole time just sitting in front of uh, like a big, like a box fan. Or like throwing up in the corner.
2: <laughs> yeah, that that was not a good decision,
1: bud. Anybody who's ever heard about it, yes, you technically can get high off nutmeg. It has psychoactive psychoactive properties, I guess, but you shouldn't because I've heard it's not pleasant. I don't know. I saw this kid try it and it looked like he was having a bad time. So I figured I was never going to try that.
2: I was going to ask just for clarity. You are not that kid, right?
1: Oh, absolutely okay. not. I'm like,
2: I didn't think so.
1: I wasn't cool enough to try to get high off nutmeg at the, uh, at, at, at the dance party. Like that's, you, you know,
2: you keep saying dance party and that is honestly so unfair.
1: Chad behavior. <laughs> no, I should. So the camp I went to, um, I should mention this, the camp I went to was at the University of Oregon campus in Eugene, um, and we got to, like, stay in the U of O dorms and pretend we were college kids for two weeks uh, in the summer and, like, take classes that were taught by college students and stuff. Okay, and so, so like, this is
2: not, like, camp camp. no. I mean, it still sounds super cool. I'm not trying to cast shade on your camp.
1: No, it was like the closest thing that I did to like actual summer camp. I didn't go to like, uh, I I know like a lot of kids went to like Jewish summer camp and I didn't do that. I went to this summer camp where a lot of the kids there were Jewish because it was like, hey, this is college before you're going to college. And all the Jewish parents are like, "Ooh, I'm going to send my kid to that. (laughs) Um, It was a great time. It, It was like legitimately a great time. But, you know, we had things like dance parties. Um, we got to take classes that were taught to us by college students. Um, we had a talent show. We had like pseudo frat activities where we do things like we'd, we'd stand outside the window of the girls dorm and sing songs to them and stuff like serenade them from outside their way. That was super fun. One year we did like love in this club by usher. And that was, that was great.
2: <laughs> that that Yeah. go. <laughs> going to going to summer camp and getting to know Usher songs sounds fun
1: oh it was a great time um it it was incredible like honestly those are some of my best memories of of being a
2: so you teenager. so you get it because this this was a a lot of the parts of summer camp were a great experience for me too but from the minute you got in the youth pastor's very unsafe seeming van to go to camp you were in for an all ifb all the time week long Experience
1: it's immersive,
2: immersive experience. Yes, so <laughs>
1: yeah, If you want me to get really like, if you want to show me what the IFB is really like, just sign me up for that, like, or, or like, get the IFB church camp VR. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I could design that and it would be it would be super fun if only I knew how to code. So okay, so I mentioned <laughs> that my youth pastor's van was very unsafe. I should probably note my youth pastor was not a creep. He was extremely extremely fundy. Um like way more fundy than my church was and always kind of trying to push us more fundy. But he's a good-hearted and an honest man. The reason I reference his van his van being unsafe is that There were holes in the floorboards, and you could see the road going past under your feet from like certain seats in the van. And oh, don't
1: be a snowflake! (laughs) That's how our parents did it.
2: (laughs) Well, also the door was like always on the verge of falling off, and then actually did fall off once or twice. Luckily, not while we were driving. (laughs)
1: Yikes! What kind of van was this? Was this like
2: was like a ninety five ford something 15 passenger van
1: wow the kind that's
2: like brick red and you don't know if it's brick red from the paint or if it's just completely rusted <laughs> <laughs> with like the stripes on the sides ah. that that, that oh. kind of van uh, so in the rickety van on the way there uh we mostly sang camp songs I guess that would have been pretty normal if it weren't for the fact that they all had to be IFB-approved songs, so no 99 bottles of beer on the wall for us, mostly scripture songs. There were a couple of non-Jesus songs that we were allowed to sing. Some of them were and never in church. The non-Jesus songs, we could, not on the church bus, not in church, not in junior church, But for things like Long Rides to Camp, there were a few non-Jesus songs that we were allowed. Some of them were modified Girl Scout songs, maybe with some words changed to make them a little more IFB approved. So people who were Girl Scouts might know the song My Mama Don't Wear No Socks. We had a version of that. We were allowed to sing Baby Bumblebee, stuff like that. Cool counselors would also let us sing 99 Bottles of Coke on the Wall less cool counselors would not allow us to sing that because it was originally about beer.
1: So you have clapping or no clapping.
2: Clapping is allowed for certain songs as long as you are always clapping on the one and the three, never on the two and the four. Really? Yep. So when the IFB kids got to camp... Our campground, I think even outside the Fundy paradigm, it was pretty cool for a small campground. So the camp that I went to is all around a small lake in the middle of the campground. Uh, On one side, you have the girls dorms, which is a big log cabin with multiple rooms. You have the dining hall, the human foosball place, the rec center, like the canteen building, the canoe docks, the mini golf course, and the chapel. And then there's a bridge across the lake. And then on the other side is the boys cabins and the swimming pool and the obstacle course. I did just now remember that the boys so the boys cabins are little separate buildings and they have to go up to the swimming pool for the bathrooms the girls dorms are one big building with multiple restrooms in it and each church group gets their own little room um so i just remembered the girls dorms are numbered so you're like in room one or room two or whatever but the boys dorms as I literally just recalled, have names, and they're named Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Timothy, James. They're all named after books of the New Testament. Wow. So that's fun. Uh, I still objectively think the human foosball and the obstacle course were pretty cool. Uh, We had a legit obstacle course with, like, 20-foot tire wall, a huge rope wall, this Rope swing that you had to swing on to get between platforms, one of those like walls that's at the end of the Ninja Warrior thing where you have to like run and jump up the wall and have people pull you up from the top. We, we had a cool obstacle course, but <laughs> before you get to play in a human foosball, you have to have orientation. You got to go over all of the many rules one more time. And this is IFB Immersion Camp. So obviously, no swearing, no touching the opposite gender, no shorts for girls, long pants on boys, no tank tops for anybody. There was always some poor girl who didn't read the rules and showed up in like Bermuda shorts and had to be marched over to the cabin to change clothes. And then she spent the whole week in borrowed clothes.
1: Oh, no. Oh, yeah.
2: I got smart to this when I was maybe nine or ten and I would just pack every single pair of culottes i owned and some extra dark t-shirts so when somebody needed clothes i could loan them out as needed.
1: Well, that would i mean that's thoughtful of you. That really yes. was. Yes.
2: Also not a responsibility a 9-year-old should have.
1: Yeah, but like you're the you're, you're the representative of your church. Man. Yep. You're like you got to reflect uh, uh, positively on them. No, so what's your average day like at IFB summer camp? Is it totally scheduled or you have free time?
2: It is very It's very scheduled. There is free time, but there's stuff to do during free time. Should I just take you through a day and see what you think?
1: Yeah, go for it.
2: I'm combining memories of kids camp and teen camp in this, but they were so similar. So I don't think it's a problem to combine them. And if there's something that's specific to one or the other, I'll let you know. Okay. So you wake up at IFB church camp and obviously you have to do devotions time first. For little kids, the counselor would probably have everybody pray together and then give everybody like five or ten minutes to read their Bible. Nothing big. Obviously, for teen camp, this is a little bit more intense, and you've really got to make sure that everybody sees you reading your Bible for as long as possible. But after that's done, you get to do all the fun classic camp stuff. So we're in the girls' dorms. We're coordinating culotte patterns for the day. We're braiding each other's hair. Uh, we also had a running competition for cleanest dorm every day. So we had to have everything as perfect as possible. We cleaned up shoes lined up under the bed, beds perfectly made, all of that. And then mm. we would head out for the flag raising ceremony before breakfast. Wow. What's that wow? Is... The clean cabin thing?
1: Yeah. But, but, so, so you had a flag raising ceremony.
2: Oh, that. You didn't have this at summer this camp? Is,
1: no. <laughs> Why? No.
2: That's unpatriotic. so the flag raising ceremony, as it probably sounds, was a combo of second devotions and a little taste of Christian nationalism for flavor. So we would all go out to the flagpole and do a flag raising ceremony. They would do the thing where like they fold the flag and unfold the flag and everybody says the Pledge of Allegiance or whatever. And then we'd have a little mini devotion from one of the youth pastors. While that was going on, people would go inspect the dorms and whoever had the cleanest room for the day got to eat first at all of the meals that day. I think there was some kind of punishment for whoever had the messiest dorms. I can't. It may have just been that they had to eat last at all the meals that day. I I can't recall if there was any other punishment as well. I think it was just eating last at meals.
1: So they pitch you all against each other a little bit.
2: Well, the whole thing was a competition. The whole thing was multiple competitions in one. The first day they would divide us all up into teams. So there'd be like four girls teams and four guys teams, exactly like Hogwarts houses. But we didn't know that because we were fundies. And then throughout the week, every game time, every chapel, everything was a team competition, and you'd earn points for your team or deduct points from your team. Like, very much how, like, the whole school year at Hogwarts was a big competition between the houses, so if your team won a game, you'd win points. If you yelled the loudest in chapel, you'd win points. But if you misbehaved personally, they could take points away from your team. There Mm. were also individual competitions. There was a Bible verse memory competition, which I'll tell you about. And then there was also the cleanest cabin contest every day. It's a lot of competition.
1: So when you get to camp... And you have all your friend, like all your friends there from your church. You're you're seeing that your size not the other competition. Are you going to like talk a little trash? Maybe you know, like I've been practicing my cleaning all year, and I'm going to whip your butts and sweep the cleanest cabin all week. We're going to eat first every day.
2: (laughs) Well, (laughs) yes, but you can't say whip your butt. Butt is a funny cuss word.
1: But okay, so what do you like? Whip your tush. Whip your behind.
2: So number one, I was so uncomfortable with trash talking because I was told like to keep sweet and be super nice all the time. So I really don't know because I wouldn't engage in trash talk because it made me really uncomfortable. Uh, number two, you probably can't say whip anything. I think that would be considered too sexual.
1: How would you know that that's sexual if your kids?
2: Well, they wouldn't. Somebody would tell you. They wouldn't explain it to you or tell you why. They would just say. Well, that could potentially be perceived as inappropriate, so please don't say that.
1: What are they going to do next? Are they going to ban whipped cream? Are they going to... I mean, pretty much anything can be sexual if you try hard enough.
2: (laughs) This is true. (laughs) So... So you do the flag raising, you do breakfast. Honestly, I cannot remember if we had chapel first or game time first. It may have been different in different years. I'm going to go with my gut and say that it was game time first. So in the morning, we'd have co-ed games like kickball or canoe races. This was one of my favorite parts of camp. We would have canoe relay races. So your team would have to put together five sets of two people each And then you'd each row out to a buoy in the middle of the lake and you'd have to go around it and then come back and then the next set of people would have to do it. This was an athletic thing that I was actually really good at for once. So I enjoyed canoe races. There was predictable camp chaos, like someone would tip their boat and have to get rescued by the counselors. And if it wasn't your team racing at the moment, you could stand around and catch up with your friends that you hadn't seen all year. So that was cool. This was also where we got to do some of the things that I hear people talk about doing in PE when they were kids, like the giant six foot beach balls, the giant parachute thing racing around on those little plastic rolly things that are meant for mechanics to roll under cars with for little kids it was generally anything goes we could do like co-ed kickball one of one of the games that we really liked we had one of those six foot giant beach balls and the entire game was you have to push it over your opponent's like, there was a line on either side of the field, and whichever team got it over their opponent's line first won, a lot of people got t- completely smashed playing that game. <laughs> yes. <laughs> just, just squished flat.
1: Yeah, that's the... the If you're a PE teacher and you're especially sadistic, you're just like, I'm going to throw this shit at them. These fucking kindergartners, they won't be able to handle <laughs> Like, Just <fucking> kill them. Yeah. <laughs> No, that sounds like a great time. That does. It's it, just... it
2: was. There are parts of my camp experience that are so painful and manipulative. But honestly, like 75% of it is the absolute most fun I ever had as a Fundy kid or teenager.
1: So this is something that I've wondered about. Because you mentioned so you, the Fundy kids. Y- you guys are all kids. You guys are all like, uh, I guess, between the ages of what, like seven, six and like 16, 17.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I think I went for the first time when I was seven went by myself cuz i had i had gone with my parents when they were counselors when i was 5 or 6 but the first year that i went without my parents i think it was 7
1: so when you're catching up with the other kids are you like when you're are you talking to each other in christianese or are you talking like normal kids or-
2: i think not so much for Children, the teenagers are definitely talking in Christianese. So a nine year old is talking about school and what grade are you going into and what's your favorite subject and do you want to race to that rock over there? And I hope we get spaghetti for lunch today. Maybe Fundy, the only thing that would be different about Fundy Kids, little kids would be they would maybe ask what curriculum you're using because you mm-hmm. want to know if the other kid is an ACE kid or an Rebecca kid because if they're an ACE kid then you can talk about what's going on in the cartoons in your paces right now. <laughs> or like like do you hate how much do you hate Ronnie and Susie? They're so awful and bad. A 16-year-old though, it's very different. It's it's a lot of Christiany. So it's um let me see if I can do it. Hold on. Well, God has been doing really amazing things in my life. My personal devotions are really bringing me closer to Christ. I was so blessed to be able to win three people to the Lord last week, and I found a new clothing store that sells modest clothes. You should check them out. That girl seems really rebellious. Her culottes are way too tight. Also, Todd from Pastor Jones Church is so cute, and I hope we get to sit next to him on the hayride.
1: Oh, there's a hayride? Yeah. Oh, we'll get to the hayride. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh man, at, and this is how sixteen-year-olds are talking to other sixteen-year-olds.
2: Yeah, at least for girls. I I don't know. I, I get the feeling that this was maybe different for boys, but this this was how I was interacting with other IFB AFAB people. There's definitely some normal teen stuff mixed in, like clothes and hair and boys, but the tone of Christianese is definitely there.
1: That's okay. Because when I was watching the Jesus Camp movie, that was one of the things that really, like, m- that really, I guess, made me feel so weird watching it is that you had all these little kids who were, like, 10, 11, 12, and they were talking like weird adults. Yeah. You know, that that was one of the... No, like, because when I was 16, like, how we, commu- like, we communicated with each other by just screaming quotes from Anchorman back and forth at each other. And I suppose, like, these days, the the 16-year-olds are, are, like, screaming TikTok memes at each other.
2: As far as movie quotes... The Princess Bride was the big, like, most fundies approve of this movie when I was in high school. Ever After was also really popular if you were on the chiller side of fundamentalism and your parents let you watch it. But this is camp. So we did quote, like, Princess Bride or Ever After to each other. But if you get caught talking about movies at all, you might lose points for your team because this is the IFB immersive experience. So oh, yeah. you could only do that if there wasn't a counselor listening. You could also um, you could also flirt with boys <laughs> um, oh. if, <laughs> during this. Uh, my preferred method of flirting with boys, and this is horrifying. <laughs> I cannot believe I'm saying this on air. My preferred method of flirting with boys was throwing my flip-flops at them because we were not allowed to touch. <laughs> so I would throw things, mostly my flip-flops. There, there were incidents of me throwing other things in one in one particular incident it was a snow cone
1: i mean it it gets his attention yeah i mean
2: it worked i always had multiple camp romances at the same time damn like a juggler so after game time and extremely embarrassing flirt attempts uh we go to chapel Usually some mornings we would have a morning chapel service with everyone. And then for teen camp, once or twice throughout the week, we would have split chapel, which I I think I've told you enough about split chapel. Split chapel is where I learned that if you wear a ring on your thumb, you're indicating that you're into drugs. And if you wear a ring on your first finger, then you're indicating that you're a lesbian. If you wear a ring on your middle, like all of these like weird coded things that the fundies believe.
1: Oh, it's just like hanky code. But- yeah,
2: yeah, but not real. <laughs> <laughs> Split Chapel was a lot of like really gross modesty stuff and purity culture. You know, everybody spit Ooh. on this candy bar and then see if anybody wants to eat it because you are an object like this candy bar. Um, just it is gross. Um, morning Chapel. We're back to camp. No record scratch noise. Morning Chapel was really just an appetizer for Evening Chapel, so I don't have a whole lot to say about Morning Chapel. They would just put the youth pastors who were less charismatic as the preachers for Morning Chapel, and then they would save the ones that were really going to rip your heart out for the Evening Chapel. My camp usually had a special guest preacher for the week who would preach the uh, evening services, but whatever youth pastors brought the kids to camp would do the morning chapel services.
1: Really? Okay.
2: Yeah. So it wasn't, morning chapel was not, I'm going to tell you about evening chapel and you'll see what I'm saying about it being very different.
1: (laughs) Okay. So it's just, it's just more.
2: Yeah. Morning chapel was more of like, you have to have more Jesus in your day. So after chapel, we would go to lunch and then we'd have my other favorite part of camp, which is swim time.
1: Oh, good fun. Yeah. You you have a lake, you have a pool, river.
2: Uh, They actually had a very nice swimming pool at the campground and it was very well maintained, which is more than I can usually say for the IFB. So from what I recall, they also made us wait an hour after finishing lunch to go swim, which uh, seems responsible, I guess. So we would usually alternate days. So on so Tuesdays and Thursdays. Boys would get to go swim first, and then Monday and Wednesday, girls would get to go swim first. Like, they would alternate it like that. So if it was your day to swim first, speaking from the AFAB perspective here, you would go back to the cabin, change into your Fundy-approved swim clothes, which for my camp was a one-piece swimsuit, and then culottes, and then a dark-colored t-shirt. And then you'd take your flip-flops and your towel and schlep yourself all the way around the lake to the swimming pool. You had to go around the lake because you were not allowed to walk across the bridge that went to the boys' cabins. Most of the time, you had to have special permission to go across the bridge, and you were certainly not allowed to cross the bridge in swim clothes because if the boys saw you up close in your swim clothes, which is, again, a one-piece swimsuit and culottes and a dark-colored T-shirt, that might cause them to lust.
1: Wait, so you're swimming in culottes?
2: yep i i knew all you're, these people <laughs> yes what? mine were denim
1: <laughs> so, you're swimming in in denim culottes
2: swimming in and i had the christian womanhood pattern that are super super pleated so like like think of like you know like a pleated like catholic schoolgirl style skirt
1: i have pleated pants i have suits that that uh, that have pleated pants Yeah, but you know
2: like the pleated school skirt like that? Imagine two of those, one for each leg, and they're below your knee length, and they're made out of denim. That's what I learned to swim in. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Uh, I knew people who went to like less intense Christian camps, and their rules were like, oh, it has to be a one-piece, or you can wear a one-piece swimsuit with a light-colored t-shirt over it. Not us. Uh, fully covered IFB modest for swimming. Even though the boys were not allowed in the completely fenced in pool area, the boys were not allowed to even be on the same side of the campground when we were swimming. Uh, if we were swimming and a boy had to walk past the completely fenced in swimming pool, we all had to get out of the water and stand around a corner so that the boy could walk past the fence to the <laughs> swimming pool.
1: And like you can't see through the fence.
2: No, there's like there's slats in it, but you would have the the width of the slats in the fence. You would have to actually walk up to the fence and like put your eye directly on it to see through.
1: S- seeing women is like see is is like nuclear radiation, and you've got to have right, like multiple
2: pairs. We- bear- <laughs> wow. But we are all again fully clothed, neck to knee. But no, we had to swim in culottes and t-shirts. The boys had to swim in knee-length shorts and t-shirts.
1: Having to swim, like, all that heavy, like, you're swimming in denim.
2: That yeah, I mean, like that was n- not required. That was just because my oldest pair of culottes that I didn't mind getting bleached by the pool were denim.
1: That seems like a much more serious safety concern than having, like, eaten recently. That...
2: I, I'll wow. just say I did turn into a very strong swimmer from learning to swim at camp, probably because I effectively learned to swim with a life with like a weight belt on.
1: Yeah. Like learning about it, I, I I don't know. It just feels like I really took for granted everything that I got to just do and not mm-hmm. have to worry about an intense logistical process to get to do it.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yep. So while one assigned gender group was swimming, the other would have more game time. This is where you get to do like running the obstacle course, doing human foosball. If you were, if they had the archery range open, which depended on, so they had an archery range, but I don't think they had archery equipment. I think we had to bring that. So if anybody, any of the counselors or pastors or youth pastors from the other church happened to bring his archery equipment, uh, which all IFB men have.
1: They got it from the vision forum catalog.
2: Right. Uh, (laughs) Or if anybody brought their guns, we would get to go to the shooting range. Oh, you Um, have to shoot guns? Yeah. I mean, they had, had one guy had a, what is that gun? That's a 50 millimeter. Is that what it's called?
1: 50 caliber. Yeah. That's a big gun. I don't know yeah. things about guns, but I know 50 caliber is big.
2: Yeah, my brother shot that when they were like 9 <laughs> at camp. Wow. Yeah. But the shooting range was out by the swimming pool. So the girls didn't really like it when the boys were at the shooting range while we were at the swimming pool because then like whenever they like arrived and left from the shooting range, we all had to like go stand in the corner so the boys could walk past the swimming pool. I I mean, I got to I got to shoot guns at camp. I uh, I can't say that this is an activity I'd be thrilled about my kid doing. I can't say that this is an activity that I recommend for every kid. I do think that they were safe, as safe as you can possibly be with a bunch of children around firearms.
1: Were, was it like, oh, we're going to train you to shoot guns, yeah. like like to be in the militia?
2: no. No, it was like we're gonna shoot for fun, but we're gonna teach you how to do it safely.
1: Oh, okay. That I'm. You know what? I'm. That's yeah. Not like that
2: this weird. isn't. This isn't something I think I would pursue for my own kid. Uh, but they, if you were going to do that activity, they did it in the safest way that you possibly could. So. All the children would stand back behind a certain line and then one child per counselor at a time would get to go up to the shooting line where a counselor was who was extremely well-trained and would show you what to do and was extremely careful and, you know, yelled. if somebody was going down range, they were like super, super careful about it. But yeah, my brothers got to shoot a 50 cal through a golf cart in a refrigerator. Wow. They didn't let the girls shoot that gun because it was too manly.
1: Did did they have hearing protection? Yeah, I think so. Cool.
2: Yeah, they certainly they did because (laughs) I don't remember like putting on headphones, but I also don't remember it hurting my ears. So clearly they did. They were like the people who were doing the instruction instructing were as far as I know, actually qualified to be around guns and minors. Anyway, maybe not ideal, but again, 100,000% not the worst thing that the IFB has ever done. Uh, The camp also had a, a huge paintball range. So if they were going to, if you were going to play paintball that year, you could go do that while the other assigned gender group was at the swimming pool. And it would be, it would be like, Oh, today we're doing obstacle course. Today we're doing human foosball. Today we're doing basketball. Today we're doing shooting or whatever it was. One year they had a really cool scavenger hunt for all the girls. So you split off into teams and then the teams had to, you got a clue. And then that clue led you to a different place on the campground and you had to go get that clue. And then that clue led you to a different place. And like whoever got to the final answer the first time, the first would win. So that was really fun. And then when everybody had done their swim time and their game time, we had maybe an hour or so of free time before dinner. And I think that's a good time to take up the offering. When we get back, I want to get into evening chapel services, which is the absolute focal point of Christian camp, unfortunately.
1: Sounds great. Let's go do that.
2: That group is called Eden Exodus. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell your worst enemy. The Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast, and we really appreciate your support. Now,
0: back to the show. Hold up.
1: We are back from our break. We're talking about Christian church camp, similar to Jesus camp, but not exactly the same because the kids in Jesus camp get to wear pants. Sadie didn't get to wear pants, but I've got to say, I think maybe we had our dessert before our dinner a little bit. We talked about the fun stuff before we got down to like the potatoes of it all.
2: Isn't that what we always do though? It's like laugh, laugh, cry. Cry? Oh buddy, did you not see like a lot of tears at summer camp?
1: Tears? No, like Oh gosh. <laughs> so I I did I did see tears. Tears on the occasion of little kid falls and skins his knee. See some sure. tears. Kids are getting homesick. You see some tears. At the end of camp, kids are going home and they have to go away. like they're, they're going to miss their friends that they've been, you know, that they've made friends with and that maybe live across the country. Sure. Those are the three times you see tears.
2: So, yeah, when you have a sleepaway camp at seven and eight years old, definitely you're going to have a few homesick kids. You're going to have a little bumper bruise or two that requires a visit to the nurse's station. There might be some tears over that. I think we had the average amount of tears during the day. But at night, everybody cried. Oceans of tears, rivers of tears. Imagine an entire room full of you and your 2nd to 6th grade or 7th to 12th grade peers just crying and sobbing uncontrollably.
1: Over what?
2: Your sins.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> wow!
2: Yeah, let me get you to chapel and I'll explain. So after swim time, after game time, you have a little bit of free time. Uh, as an AFAB teenage person, this was mostly to shower, wash your hair, curl your hair, do some makeup because you got to look good for chapel. When I was younger, obviously we didn't do makeup. We still had to put on something resembling church clothes for dinner and evening chapel.
1: Wait, so they expect you to, to do hair and makeup when you're living in cabins?
2: I wouldn't say they expect you to do it. I would say as a fundy teenage girl, you never know where your righteous, Jesus-loving future pastor husband is. So you have to show him that not only can you canoe really fast during the day, you also can dress up and look really pretty for chapel. We did have to wear church clothes for chapel. In my memory, it was more like what you would wear for Wednesday night church. So as a kid, it would be like a casual dress or as a teenager, maybe a khaki skirt or a casual skirt and a nice blouse and flats.
1: Well, at least they're not making you wear
2: At this point in my life, I was so thankful not to have to wear hose that that was about all I cared about.
1: It's the chapels every day.
2: Yeah, every morning and every evening. So, we'd have a little free time, go to dinner, and then after dinner would be chapel. I did want to note that during free time, we would also be doing our scripture memorization challenge. There was a contest the whole week of camp for who could quote the most individual verses of scripture. I prepared for months for this. This is one of the main reasons that I have entire chapters of the Bible memorized. I don't remember what my final, like any of my final numbers... I do remember one year I brought a handwritten list of the references of over 500 verses that I knew so I could just work off the list. Yeah, that was fun. Oh. Uh, I think I think the girl who was like my main competition actually listens to this podcast. I'm not sure if she does. I think she does. Your so rival. My rival. But it was a friendly rivalry. We were like helping each other brush up our memorization, but secretly hoping we would beat the other one. Uh, if you went to camp with me and competed against me in the scripture memory contest, and then later married the son of a well-known IFB evangelist. Um, (laughs) You know who you are.
1: And you're listening to the show now, so you probably got out. Uh.
2: (laughs) Yeah. The person that I'm thinking of is like in the process. I think she listens. I'm not sure. Anyway, so before we get into the trauma, we did get to do a lot of really fun games in chapel. So the kind of thing I've told you about with the Valentine's banquet, just less weird like without the weird like make it sexy component one of the favorite games we did there would be a bag of food items at the front of the chapel Everyone would line up in the back of the chapel by team, and it was a relay race. So you would have to run to the front, grab a mystery food item out of the bag, eat it as quickly as you could, and then run back and tag the next person. The catch is that there were some weird things in the bag. So you might get a jar of like weird-flavored baby food. You might Ooh. get a whole raw onion or a small raw potato. <laughs> you might get sardines. Uh, yeah. Or you might get a candy bar or an apple or something. Um, A lot of people threw up playing that game, but they did at least give exemptions for food allergies. So I guess that's cool.
1: Honestly, man, this like that game sounds really fun. It's just like you'd never get away with doing that now because somebody's parents would call and complain. But that is objectively hilarious.
2: It really was. And it was also all about like impress for the girls. It was all about impressing the boys. Because if you could eat something, like shove something in your face that is really gross and eat it really quick and not throw up, that's pretty cool to a teenage boy, apparently. Uh... Okay, it's pretty cool to a fundy teenage boy. <laughs> so there was another game we did <laughs> where. <laughs> I'm
1: sorry. Oh, man.
2: There, Just... there was another game. These, these are the same blade. These, these are. <laughs> I can't talk anymore. These are the same boys who, who are who are uh, getting like feeling like they are being crushed on because I threw my flip flop at them. So mm. there, there was another I... game we did where each team had a large jar of peanut butter and a large jar of jelly. And the first team to completely finish both jars won. So you had to like work together and use teamwork to get everybody's spoon in there at the same time and also eat a crap ton of peanut butter and jelly. That was a fun game. You
1: play these in chapel. You'd be like yeah. in the chapel.
2: Yeah. Well, the chapel was a gym. There wasn't a designated religious building on site. There was just a gym mm-hmm. and then they set up chairs and a platform and a piano in it. So you'd get to chapel. You would do some like funny hype songs, like bus songs, play some games, and then you'd later on get down to the heavy stuff.
1: Was there like it? I don't want to say not like an object, but like an activity lesson. For all of like these games that you're playing, or is it just for fun?
2: Believe it or not, it was just for fun. Wow! Yeah. And now that you wow. asked that, I think that camp may have been one of the only places where we ever did anything just for fun, like just to be kids with other church kids.
1: But you'd be in chapel, and you'd be in your church clothes, and you'd be slurping peanut butter... <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, that's why they had us in Wednesday night clothes, not our actual Sunday clothes. Uh, I think the boys had to wear slacks and polo shirts. It was it was the kind. It was like a no denim, no t shirts thing. Nobody was wearing a full suit or anything like that. So you would do some crazy games. You do a lot of relay races, that kind of thing, and then we would get into sword drills, which I've told you about, and maybe some Bible quiz games. As I've previously stated. I was the queen of sword drills, and they would give points to your team for the sword drills. And because this is Fundy Camp, they really tried to make... So if your team won the canoe race, that might be 5,000 points for your team. But if your team won the sword drills, that's going to be like 10,000 points for your team. Because this is Fundy Camp. So yeah. it's more points for the Bible things. So this was also one of the only times in my entire childhood that people actually wanted me on their team for something. I was not a coordinated child.
1: So you're like a, a num- like a first round draft pick.
2: Oh, yeah. Because everybody first. knew that I would win every sword drill. They actually had to make it where I could only enter sword drills once a night because my team kept winning.
1: Yeah, Yo, You're like a ringer. You're just like a a, like an absolute ringer. Just it's not fair. Wow. So they had.
2: I would like to know if our Faith Promise missions patrons want to challenge me to sword drills, or if that is triggering for you. So please let me know.
1: (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Because I will
2: play you in. uh, I will play you on on the Faith Promise missions hangout the next time we do it.
1: So we're like it's not just. Like, you, you are so good at sword drills that they had to change the rules of sword drills.
2: Yeah, I was yeah. usually the best in the camp. There was one other... Jesus. There was one other pastor's daughter who was my only real competition. See, this is what I was getting into
1: with the shit talking earlier. Like, you could have like shit talk so bad about the about like fucking killing it in the sword drills and nobody would have had anything to say about it like but
2: that's the they, sin of pride which is the most commonly mentioned sin in the bible
1: what are they going to do rat on you that you're bragging about it
2: no gabby <laughs> i would not have been willing to brag because i was afraid of committing the sin of pride
1: That's true. If you were that good at sword drills, then you wouldn't have been capable of bragging that much. That's so (laughs) funny.
2: Right. Exactly. We also had this really fun thing where, so they would call out a series of numbers. So it would be like, let me see if I can do it. 1-26-5-4-3. And that's, so one first book of the Bible, that's Genesis, 26, 26th. Chapter of Genesis, five, fifth verse of the 26th chapter of the first book, four, fourth word, three, third letter. So you have to decode that code mentally and you have to know the books of the Bible in order. So they call out this string of numbers. You figure out which book of the Bible it is, do a sword drill, find the verse, count the words, find the word, count the letters, and then you stand up when you've got the correct letter. Wow, yeah. that's that was my problem <laughs> that was my favorite thing in high school.
1: and you just kill it every
2: time. That one was hit or miss for me because sometimes I struggled to remember the cadence of numbers. So, I would get, like, what book of the Bible it was really quickly, but then I would forget what chapter I was supposed to be going to.
0: Oh,
1: okay. So, it's just, like, a memory thing. Okay. Right.
2: And then some people who would lead this activity would call out the cadence multiple times as you went through. So, that I would win. But if they only said it once, that was a little bit harder.
1: But still, you're like an all-star for this. You're like, they're, they're like drafting you. Yeah. For, for the all Also, me
2: and the girl who was my main competition were not allowed to be on the same team at camp.
1: Oh, that's just OP. That's just OP. That's like Le- Kevin Durant going to the Warriors or LeBron going to the Heat, man. Oh, that's... No, you know what I've got to do? Like, every Sunday night, I go to do pub trivia. Um and i think that like our relative knowledge and like lack of knowledge in various areas we we'd, we'd complement each other very well i would love to have you on a pub trivia team
2: Well, we'll see what we can do about that. So throughout the week, each team would have to come up with a team song and we would have to perform that song in chapel, usually on the last night. We were allowed to use parodies of worldly songs as long as the worldly songs weren't about anything else that was unapproved. So thinking back to like 2007 to 2010, when I was teen in camp, you could do it to a a team song to the tune of gilligan's island or the brady bunch maybe sweet child of mine but you couldn't use the tune of i kissed a girl or tonight's gonna be a good night so here's here's the here's where we get down to the trauma and the tears did i mention that there were tears
1: trauma
2: So after all the games, you'd have a special music song, just like you'd always have special music before the sermon at church at home. My camp would let the teen groups from different churches sing, so our youth group would prepare a song for this. Other churches that had youth groups that could sing would prepare a song. I was also the camp pianist for a couple of years because I could play by ear. And I could play all the bus songs that they would do, like the fundy hype songs. I could play that on piano, but I could also pivot and play hymns and play for the altar call and all of that part. Anyway, we would get to the sermon. And the entire sermon, much like the youth conference sermons, it's all geared toward the altar call. But youth conference, especially at First Baptist of Hammond tends to be the point the main point is always get kids to surrender to preach get them to promise to be a missionary or a pastor's wife or whatever go reach the world for jesus and at camp Hmm. that wasn't really what we got and i'm not really sure why it could have been because all of the churches that we did camp with really focused on getting bus kids to go to camp and getting kids who were not super involved with the church kids whose parents weren't super fundy to come to camp with the youth group and with the kids whose parents were super fundy. But at camp, the sermons were geared maybe halfway toward the usual stuff, like getting kids to be called to preach. But they were also very focused on getting kids to give up the sins in their life and toward getting the kids saved if they weren't already saved.
1: So how, how much did church camp cost?
2: I think about 150 for the week plus a little bit of spending money for snow cones at the canteen.
1: So, Because that's that's not a lot of money considering. And like the bus kids aren't usually super well off anyway.
2: No, but neither are, are they... the sold out fundy kids because their parents are paying for Christian school and tithing and offering and all that. Our no. youth group would have fundraisers. We did walkathons, candy bar sales, car washes. And then sometimes people in our church would just flat out sponsor a kid to go. Because this was a, getting the kid right. to camp was kind of seen as the big deal. Because if you can get them to camp, then they will make all these big decisions for God.
1: I'm trying to imagine being a like a normie bus kid. You know, who like started going to church for free candy and because their mom didn't give a shit. And then suddenly... Or because their
2: mom was yeah. working all the time or because their mom needed to feed them and the church would give them food. Right. Sorry, I didn't mean yeah. to interrupt you. I just... I have to point out that the parents who don't care are not all bus parents.
1: Yeah, I, I, but then they they end up getting like sponsored for this church camp where they have to go and they're swimming in denim culottes and they're guzzling peanut butter and, and like church clothes. And then you're going this church service where they demand that you bring everybody that you know to church
2: camp. You get told to leave your phone at home, no digital devices, you've got to be in dress code constantly the whole week, you got to swim with culottes on, you can't touch the opposite gender, can't curse, can't make any worldly references, have to be in chapel twice a day, and everyone is playing all these Bible games that you don't know the answers to. It must be an absolutely wild experience.
1: I mean, I, I can imagine getting there and thinking, like, after the first, like, oh, hell no, I like, I want to go home, but it's like five hours away, and Mm mm-hmm god
2: but then you have a bad attitude and you get put on counselor watch where you have to be literally within arm's reach of a counselor at all times and then they always pick the meanest like most fundy counselor for that
1: oh man and imagine like if you paid money for this experience it sounds like the kind of thing that you'd see on like you know kevin james thornton
2: Oh, of course I do
1: Yeah, that that's, this seems like one of the kind of things That you'd see on one of his videos Where yeah. he'd be talking about like At my super fundamentalist church We went to
2: church came- <laughs> It was the 90s <laughs> Yeah <laughs> but I want to go back to chapel and let me see if I can paint a picture for you, because I think all the fun and games leads to something here, possibly. So you get a couple hundred teenagers, you wake up early, the whole day is focused around Jesus. There's, there's devotions and prayers and prayers before every meal and morning chapel and evening chapel. There's a lot of really fun stuff too, especially if you know the rules and you know the expectations on you and you can comfortably like you you don't have to think about the rules all the time because they're so ingrained in you you feel the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat you bond strongly with the people around you but you get to the end of the day you've been swimming You're sunburned or exhausted and you go to the gymnasium and it's all set up for chapel you sing some songs you play some games and you sit down to hear a sermon and the sermon is number one and this is where the salvation doubt trigger warning comes in Oh, God. Number one, the sermon is about you might think you're saved, but you might not actually be saved. I got so triggered <laughs> making my notes for this episode here. So, <laughs> so sometimes the tactic will be, well, maybe you got saved when you were a kid, but did you really mean it? Was there any doubt in your heart? Because under Fundy Salvation Theology, if you did not fully 100% with your entire being believe that Jesus died on the cross for you and that accepting him will take you to heaven, then you didn't tap into the magic. Oops, I'm sorry. I mean, the salvation and you are not saved. Sometimes the tactic will be, if you are saved, then you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you do not feel that you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you might not be saved, which is a horrible thing to say to someone who is under 18 and has no idea what the f*** they're feeling half the time. Like, this is a child. (laughs) Like, if you're talking about somebody who is, like, prepubescent child, they are not a fully formed enough human being to understand the concept of believing in something fully. That's not a concept that you can, like, you cannot put the weight of that on a a small child, a young person who's not yet a teenager. Somebody who is a teenager, they are... full of hormones they don't know what they feel
1: is this the holy spirit or am i just horny
2: yes you don't (laughs) know you have no clue. you have no clue when you are 14 and there are weird hormones in your body and like everything feels weird do you just have crushes on everybody and nobody like can you imagine if you don't feel that you are filled with the Holy Spirit, then you should doubt whether you might be on the fast track to a burning place of fire forever.
1: I cannot imagine this. I have zero like <laughs> capability of imagining this. This is so, so wild.
2: Like, another tactic that they might use is if you can sin and not immediately feel guilty, then you might not really be saved. So, there are a ton, mm. a ton. Of tactics, those are just the first few that that happen to come to mind for me.
1: I find it so ironic that the fundies will be the ones like they'll they'll be saying that Catholic baptisms are illegitimate, right? Because because they're saying that the that the baby isn't old enough to understand, right? Because so the can, baby didn't yeah. choose it. Yeah, and but they're perfectly fine with like a five year old who has been raised in this making a decision or the most important spiritual decision of their life but then they'll also like be out here and and using oh well you made that decision when you were five as emotional leverage against the same kids
2: right and they will also be saying that a five-year-old can choose their eternal destination but should not be allowed to choose what gender they present as to the world yeah yeah Yep. So wow. they'll say once saved, always saved, and they'll say that preschoolers can get saved. I mean, I got Fundy saved when I was three, and I do remember really? it. I do re- I, like I do remember it. I I was able to talk and have a conversation. I actually remember it happening uh, very clearly. I, I had I had early memories. I have memories as far back as my like my. I remember my third birthday party, but I remember things that happened before that. So I have memories a little bit earlier than a lot of people do. But still, I was three. I was a toddler. Yeah. Um. But so they'll say, oh, a preschooler can get saved. There's no such thing as too young. Plenty. I would love um if Arch Radish on TikTok, if, if you hear this, uh, I, you strike me as the kind of person who also probably got saved at three. So let me know. But 10 years later... They sneak attack you at teen camp, and they say, if you listen to worldly music, you might not even be saved, because if you were saved, the Holy Spirit would convict you over that.
1: But these are the same people who are saying, you can't pick your gender until you turn 18, and then well, they'll be out here, you know, like, bribing kids with candy to come get baptized and well,
2: sh- So, actually, these people are saying, you can't pick your gender at all, and you should just submit to the gender roles that God created you for. But they're also <laughs> saying... That a child couldn't possibly know what gender they would like to present to the world anyway. Uh, Those are the people who say you can't pick until you're 18 are different bigots, though, just to be clear.
1: Well, they can all f*** off. Yes. Um,
2: But the camp sermons, this is important. So it'll be, they all kind of follow this pattern. It'll be first, you might not even be saved and you should be very worried about that. Second, if you are saved and you have sin in your life you are lucky that God doesn't strike you dead on the spot right now. And third, you should be a pastor or a missionary or a pastor's wife or a missionary's wife. Sometimes you'll get a little bit as well of like the, uh, God is going to judge America and take away everything we love if this generation doesn't fix our country. Usually a little bit of that somewhere in there. Yeah. So put yourself in these shoes. You're on a massive emotional high because you're at camp. It's like the most fun thing you get to do. You're bonded to the people around you. You're physically exhausted. You are in the perfect position for this sermon to have a profound impact on you. You've seen videos of altar calls at youth conference, right?
1: Yes. Yes. So, and I remember watching Sheffy and that had the altar call in it. And then you had to explain to me what that was. And then I had to go back and watch the the, the HAC right. youth conference videos. And it all made sense.
2: If anybody is catching up and not going in order, the Sheffy episode and the Cult to Preach episode are probably where we talk about this the most. I think at youth conference, any average altar call probably gets about 50 to 75% of people down to the altar. Maybe a little bit better odds than that for the last sermon when they bring out the big guns and or, you know, polish a shaft. But at camp, one of these camp sermons seriously will get 99% of the kids on their knees, on a concrete floor, bawling their eyes out because they think they're not saved.
1: You're expected to do the altar call like every year. Every night. Every night?
2: <laughs> every morning and every night.
0: Wow. So,
2: morning chapel, there were usually will be like a mini altar call. It's not emotional like the night ones. It's more of like a quick get down, pray, make a decision, go on with your day kind of thing.
1: Fundamentalism is a cult, everybody. It's it's definitely not a cult. Um, <laughs> So,
2: yeah, definitely def not.
1: <laughs> what happens if you're like if if the the preacher is just maybe they're kind of weak, they're kind of mid and you're just not feeling as affected by this manipulation or if maybe you're feeling more secure in your salvation and you don't feel like you need to, you know, get down on your knees and 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 cry on the concrete? Or is this just like not an option?
2: It's not option not option. It's just that you don't really feel secure in your salvation. I've not seen that happen very often, you're, you know, you're told that your salvation is the most important thing in the entire world. You're pumped full of all of this scare, scare, scare about hell. And then you're told that you are completely secure in your salvation your entire life. But then somebody gets up and gives you what seemed like very valid reasons that you might not feel secure in that. So I just, I have not seen it happen too often that there wasn't at least a good chunk of people that got the, caught the insecurity. There was only—so this happened pretty much every year. There was one year that pretty much the whole focus of the camp was on salvation, and that was the only year that I truly got caught up in this I-might-not-be-saved business. But all the other years, there was always something. So one year, the thing that gets you might be a secret sin in your life that you've been doing. These preachers, they have a real talent for picking apart teenage minds, and it feels like they can see into your soul. Or they might just walk up to you while you're sitting in the group listening to the sermon and creepily stare into your eyes and straight up claim that they can see into your soul. That's happened.
1: Wow. Yeah. To you?
2: Uh no.
1: Ew. I'm,
2: no. It's happened to other people.
0: So Mostly like, boys.
1: Are like are they gonna just like say a list of sins that probably every teenager is doing at least one of? Mm-hmm. Like Oh, listening to worldly music, or having lustful thoughts, or feeling resentful towards your parents—like,
2: yeah, that's basically how they do it. I mean, have you ever known a teenager that didn't have some kind of secret? So the preacher will get up and list off a bunch of things, and I am going to do—I'm going to do my fundamentalist preacher verbal impression. I'm not doing a voice pr- impression, but TW for those who need it. I'm going to uh, talk like a fundy preacher for a minute here. So the preacher might say something like, you might be sitting in this room and to everyone around you, you look like a great teenager. Your youth pastor respects you. Your pastor thinks you're great, but there's that one thing in your life that you hope no one ever finds out about. Is it your internet use? Is it some worldly music? Oh, oh, I can see it now. Some of you teenagers, you look so great on the outside you win the sword drills, you quote the Bible verses, but you've got a stash of CDs under your bed, up in your closet, in the glove box of your car with shameful lyrics, dirty lyrics, filthy lyrics of the world and the flesh and the devil. Oh, you have responsibilities in your home church. You know just how to dress. Your haircut is just right. But you have that one thing that you refuse to give to God.
1: You know what this is like? What? You know, you know, you know, you know those professional psychics. They get like mm-hmm. look at like a group of people together and they're like I'm getting I'm getting a name I'm getting it like a, a, a joy j- 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 james a- and then somebody jumps up and they're like my dad was named James and then the psychic's like he told me to tell you don't worry about the money or just like some mm-hmm. generic bullshit like that you know yes
2: or like like stage mediums like Teresa Caputo does that
1: exactly yeah
2: it's very similar tactics. So, if they can't cast doubt on your salvation, so they'll try for salvation first, and if that doesn't hit, they will try secret sins, and then if that doesn't hit, they'll get you with, you need to surrender to God's will for your life, or you need to re-surrender to God's will for your life because you made promises last year, but you're not living up to them well enough. So, maybe just like, just like a, a hypothetical statistical analysis, let's say they get 25% of the people there with the salvation thing on any given night. They get another 50% with the secret sin thing, and then they get another 24% with the surrender to God's will. Bingo. You got 198 out of 200 teenagers at the altar. Or maybe they only get 80% of the kids with all three of those things combined, but peer pressure gets everybody else. Or maybe... If you're a sold-out funny kid and you don't feel the Holy Spirit over any one of those things, guess what happens then? What? You hit the altar to beg God to speak to you because if the Holy Spirit is not speaking to you, this is clearly a powerful sermon. 80% of your peers are already on their knees crying. Why don't I feel the Holy Spirit right now? What the f*** is wrong with me? Go back to square one. You might not be saved. If oh. that's not it, go back to square two. You might have a secret sin that you're in denial about. You don't even know that it's a sin because you have become deaf to the Holy Spirit. Wow. So if you that's- feel something, if you get the hysteria, you get these huge emotions. But if you don't feel anything, you freak out because you're not feeling sorry.
1: <sighs> you Sadie not- <laughs> triggered herself. <laughs>
2: It's it's so hard, though. It is so hard because if you don't get the hysteria on any given night, you lose your mind. Because why is God not speaking to me? God normally speaks to me. What am I doing wrong? Don't leave me, God.
1: So, Okay, so what about... can I have like
2: a second to process that before we move on?
1: (laughs) Oh, my God. Wow.
2: This is why ex-fundamentalist kids have get diagnosed with rejection-sensitive dysphoria, this is why ex-fundamentalist kids get diagnosed with BPD. Because God is supposed to be a present voice in your life every moment. And when you lose, and most of us have that from a young age because we are taught, we're conditioned to have it. And then when we lose it for whatever reason— we feel that God has left us because, and it's because of something we did.
0: Mm. This
2: fucks up marriages. I have to remind myself every day that my husband is not going to leave me over something that I did wrong that I didn't even know was wrong. And he has never treated me that way. He's never threatened to leave me. Even when we had big and legitimate disagreements that we were working through. But the the pain of this just goes on throughout your life. Okay, I feel I, okay. I'm. I'm good. We can keep going. This is just. It, it is so painful.
1: So you said like 98 out of 200.
2: Yeah, like th- that's certainly not going to be every single time, but that's that's a common occurrence.
1: So what about the um like the two out of 200 that that doesn't get got
2: so by this? Typically, those would be a couple of categories of kids. Often they would be the bus kids who went to camp and had no idea what they were in for, so they were not conditioned into catching religious hysteria very very easily. Those can also be really, really rebellious and jaded church kids, and I use rebellious in the funny sense, um, not to cast any shame on these kids who clearly were smarter than me. <laughs> but like the kids who are getting out and going far away the minute they turn 18, the Mariah Plath-type children.
1: Love Mariah Plath. We stand her here.
2: Oh, oh, yeah. Sometimes the preacher, so, so let's say in in this particular crowd of 200, there are two to four holdouts. So you're, you're at 98 to 99% participation. Sometimes the preacher will continue to yell until they crack. So you might hear something like, I'm going to do the preacher voice again. The Holy Spirit is telling me, there's one more person here who needs to surrender. One more. One more person who needs to surrender. One more. One more person here who needs to hear the call of the Holy Spirit. Give in to him. Give in to him. Give in to the Holy Spirit. We can stay here all night as long as the fire from above is falling on this holy place. And you notice wow. in that impression, there's a lot of repetition. That's a tactic.
1: Sounds like an auctioneer.
2: Yes, the That's- piano, the entire time that this is going on, the piano is playing the same song over and over and over and over, sometimes dozens of times, and I was the piano player for some of these. Uh, this can go on for hours. A one-hour invitation time at camp is not unusual, and two hours is certainly not unheard of. I've been a part of more than one two-hour invitation time. If you're the one holdout or one of the few holdouts, you might think to yourself, whatever, fuck it, I'll go kneel down so we can get out of here and go get snacks.
1: Because they can tell because they'll be like, okay, who's sitting and who's kneeling?
2: Well, you, you also just... leave your seat and go kneel like closer to where the preacher is. This is f- it. Yeah. So you might just be like, you know what, (laughs) we can get snacks if I just like do what they want me to do. So I'm just going to do it. You also, you might just be really stubborn and just sit there and eventually the preacher will give up. And he'll probably say something really, really shitty in the process of giving up. Like, you know, if you don't surrender to God tonight, then God's going to give your soul over to the devil um, and you'll never have a chance like this again. Which, ooh, toxic relationship stuff. Look at that. If that was you, props to you for being less vulnerable to m- manipulation.
1: But also, you like probably bruise your knees from having to kneel on that hard floor for too long, <laughs> right? right. <laughs> waiting for that one kid. So th- right, there would and, be like, like
2: sometimes you're like kneeling down, and you are done having your like hyper emotional Jesus moment. So let's say like my hyper emotional Jesus moment only took like 15 20 minutes. Like I I was I was done and then like I'm still like stuck sitting on the concrete floor just like and you're not supposed to look to see like who's not doing it, but sometimes you're peeking and you're like, "Come on, Jason, I want to get snacks." Like I'm done rededicating my life to Jesus. Like, can we go get snow cones? Come on, dude.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's only like 1%, though.
2: It depends on the service. It depends on the preacher. It depends on the amount of emotional hysteria that he's personally able to bring to a hot gymnasium full of sweaty kids. When I say hysteria, I just mean full-blown religious hysteria. There are so many moments from this where the entire like sensory and emotional experience of this are burned into my brain. I think the one I remember best, I was 9 or 10 years old. And I know I was 9 or 10 because I know around the age I was when I had this particular dress because I also wore it to Disney World. I remember the dress. It was a mint green and white gingham sundress with embroidered watermelons and little pink ruffles on it. It was a sleeveless dress. So I had to wear it with a white t-shirt underneath it like one of J-Rod's kids. (laughs) Um, It was my favorite dress that I brought to camp that year. So I don't know if it was, it might have been the last night that I had worn that because it was my favorite and I always saved my favorite dress for the last night. I wore it with little white ruffled socks and white sandals. And I don't, I have no idea who the preacher was. But the sermon was about praying for and witnessing to your friends and relatives who aren't saved because they're all going to end up in hell and hell is so terrible. I just remember lying face down on the floor, just so overwhelmed with fear and emotions that I couldn't even sit up or kneel. I And just the sensory experience of it, I think, is more than the emotional experience. I remember the sensory experience, just like the floor is cold and dusty and I'm completely face down, forehead on on the floor and the tears are pooling under my eyes. because so I'm just sobbing because I'm so afraid that my cousins are going to hell. And that's church camp.
1: <laughs> so, so the thing you're worried, you're worried about your cousins who are Catholics. Mm-hmm. And you're mm-hmm. worried that they're, going uh, I
2: had cousins who were Catholics and cousins who were not religious. And I think I was equally, equally worried about all of them.
1: And so what, so what came of this? Did you resolve to like, try to get them saved properly or you know did you pray for the power to save them or what's going on here what's your so um-
2: i think the decision that i actually made that night was that i promised to pray for them every day until they got saved i think i was so young i didn't really have the full i didn't understand the entire inner workings of the ifb salvation theology at that age uh, i knew a lot Because I was I was like a really studious and academic little kid. When information was presented to me, I just wanted to absorb it. But I don't think I had like quite the level of understanding that I would do anything other than pray for them to get saved. I was such a little kid. It was more like I was praying that somebody else would witness to them. I don't know if my own goals or intentions were clear in that moment. I was just so emotionally devastated by the idea of them going to hell. I don't know how to explain that kind of pointless emotional trauma at that age because I know like little children go through trauma in in the course of life. and if you are a believer, you might say it's because of the sin curse because sin is in the world and sin causes trauma and death and pain. And if you are not a believer, you might say it's because of the natural course of life. Little children go through horrible things. But I had not gone through anything horrible. That level of emotional trauma was completely unnecessary.
1: But you were convinced that, I, I guess, and, and you're like, for lack of a better term, you're violently confronted with this. Rea- like, it's not reality, but you, you, I guess it would have been reality to you. But you're you're like convinced that this is their future.
2: Yeah, when you were a little kid, you were convinced of the reality of the things in your world, right? I guess. Like, objectively real things, like your house, your siblings, your parents. Yeah. Like, you just knew that that those were real things. Like, So when you went to school and you weren't with your parents anymore, you didn't worry about did your parents still exist, right? No. These things were just as real to me. Like These things that I could not see and did not have proof for were just as real to me as the concept that your parents still existed when you were not in their presence were to you at the same age.
1: How, how many times did you try to go get your cousins saved over like the course of your childhood?
2: I didn't get to see them very often because of the whole being in a cult thing. I'm sure I probably tried to bring it up in conversation every time we were together. Two of my cousins listened to the show that I'm aware of one of them is older than me. I'll have to ask the younger one if she remembers me being pushy about it or anything.
1: But this this is as real to you as the desk or the computer or the microphone or like my voice right now.
2: Yeah, if not more real. It was it was part of the like the built-in fabric of my life and my mental landscape as a child the like the ever present thought of hell was just a part of my identity and my reality
1: and so how how does this make it, are, so are are you feeling like despair for the world or are you like feeling trying to feel more resolute and determined to be a really good soul winner or
2: i definitely felt both um i feared for my own salvation and especially for the salvation of the people around me uh, as a kid, I literally went to McDonald's play places with my pocket New Testament and would get kids to come up to the top of the play place so that I could witness to them. Um, <laughs> some of their parents oh. weren't real psyched about that.
1: <laughs> I don't doubt it. Wow. Um,
2: I so I wouldn't say I think when I was when I was older, like when I got into teenage and young adult years, it was more that every thought I tried to make every thought in my mind about things of God in general. So like heaven and hell and witnessing and like God's will for my life and Bible verses and my prayer life and like my spiritual time with God, like all that stuff. It wasn't so much like that as a kid, but I would say it was something that I thought about multiple times daily.
1: This is just like a level of anxiety I have never experienced. And like, I can't, I just like, I can't imagine a child being convinced that that Like, the weight of the entire world is, like, resting on my shoulders, that is.
2: There's just, you know, there's just a reason that so many of us have diagnosed anxiety disorders. Like, we lived in in a constant daily state of worry and sometimes panic over something way bigger than death that was constantly hanging over our heads every moment of our childhoods. So when I say stuff like like I didn't have a childhood, this is what I'm referring to because my parents gave me many wonderful childhood memories. Our family was very uh, was we were really close. We did a lot of really fun stuff. My dad like my dad watched the 1960s Batman with us. He swam in our pool with us. He threw threw the ball with us. My mom taught me how to cook. My parents. Uh, were really funny and entertaining and fun as parents. My mom homeschooled me for kindergarten and was the world's best kindergarten teacher. And she ended up teaching for the Christian school and she was my one of my brother's kindergarten teacher as well. The world's best kindergarten teacher. <laughs> so my mother is the most entertaining person around small children ever. It's adorable. You know, we we sang songs and we had a family band and we had... A world of inside jokes. Like I had a great childhood in a lot of ways. I had almost an ideal childhood in a lot of ways. So when I say I didn't have a childhood, I don't mean that I didn't have fun. And I don't mean anything about the way that my parents cared for me uh, or the love that I had from my parents. This is what I mean. Because over all of these beautiful memories, almost idyllic childhood in so many ways is the sword of Damocles, you know, <laughs> literally. tell. Ah. hell. The people that I'm walking past when my parents took me to Disney World, I'm worrying about whether they're saved. And before my dad died, I talked to him a lot about this. He just, he, my parents did not know how deeply this had gotten into our minds. They just, they did not understand... The parenting books that they read were by Jack Hiles, and he claimed that he had all this knowledge and information and knowledge from God and knowledge from pediatricians and child development experts, and that, that this was the best way to raise children. They were doing the absolute best they could with the information that they had, and they had no idea how deeply these fears colonized our minds.
1: Because So they they weren't having these same fears. Your parents they, weren't.
2: I think my dad really never told me. I think he did probably at this point in his life worry about the salvation of every person that he passed on the street. But he was able to cope with that with an, with an adult mindset. If you as an adult are told that you want to worry. Okay. We, well, we live in Portland. We've talked about the fact that when you live in Portland, you see a lot of houseless people just in general. I saw, as I was driving early this morning, and I saw a person who appeared to be a houseless and appeared to be intoxicated. They were pushing, they had a a shopping cart full of possessions, and as cars drove by, they were pushing the shopping cart to, like, make it look like they were going to hit cars that went by and acting really erratically. This person is clearly having a really tough time. And my mind has gone back to them a couple times throughout the day with thoughts like, man, I really hope that person gets help. Man, I really hope that person gets picked up by somebody who is going to provide more resources than the Portland Police Bureau is. Man, I hope that person gets a person who will help them or finds it within themselves to reach out for help. I hope that person gets housed. I hope that person gets help if they're having mental problems. I hope that person gets help if they're having an addiction problem. But I have not obsessed over it. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, like, I will probably think about that person several more times throughout the week and, you know, with a sincere sense of worry for them and a sincere hope that they won't be in this situation in the future and that they'll do better. But I am I'm an adult and I have my own family to take care of. And I don't obsess. I haven't thought about that person every minute all day long. I've thought about them two or three times throughout the day, and we'll probably do that for a few more days running. So when my dad passed people on the street and was worried about their salvation, I assume, and and other fundamentalist adults, I assume that that is how they were thinking about it. With an adult's coping skills and mental development, they were able to have concern for that person's salvation without it becoming an obsession. But think if you were a small child and you saw the person that I saw this morning, you might, especially if you were told you need to obsessively worry about people and their situation in life, you might obsess over that. You might not be able to quit thinking about them. You might be overcome with worry. So I think we all, as fundamentalists, were told that we were supposed to worry about the salvation of everybody that we saw and to think about it constantly. But I think the adults were able to do that in a more healthy way maybe but they those adults especially the my generation of children was one of the first generations of children fully raised in the fundamentalism as we know it ifb fundamentalism was barely a thing when my dad was born in 1959 So even if his parents had been IFB fundamentalists and they weren't, his upbringing would not have been the same as mine. IFB fundamentalists were still having mixed gender swimming parties in the 1960s and 70s. IFB fundamentalists were still going to movies, just not PG-13 or R-rated movies when my dad was a teenager. IFB fundamentalists were, had nowhere near the levels that they got to, and they had just really hit that level as my dad was becoming an adult. So these adults in fundamentalism had no idea how this would affect children. So my generation of IFB people who are now maybe like 40 to 25 are the guinea pig generation. (laughs) Nobody had any idea how this stuff was going to affect us. The adults around us had no clue what they were doing to us psychologically.
1: Wow. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm still just like, I, I have so much difficulty trying to wrap my head around. all This one
2: this. brought up some trauma, dude.
1: It, it, dude, it did for real, mm-hmm. man. And I'm like, I'm imagining being one of these normie bus kids who mm-hmm. there by accident and i can ima- like and i can imagine there's just this enormous social pressure to just go along with whatever is 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 going on here and maybe they don't feel the anxiety in the same way that everyone else does but everyone else just seems to be like freaking the hell out about it mm-hmm. and i guess they're just like because i'm trying to i'm trying to place myself in this situation and the only way that I can do that is by like is by imagining myself as a normie bus kid because the mm-hmm. mindset of somebody raised in fundamentalism seems so bonkers to me that like it, it seems so unimaginable to me. Yeah. So that's the only way that I can like.
2: And you're also, the thing is, you're also, you're very, I, I see you as being fairly immune to social pressure. You think? At this point, I mean, I didn't know you when you were younger, so maybe that's something that you've grown into.
1: Oh, I got bullied a lot. Like I did get bullied a lot, and I like, kind of okay.
2: But like the way you dress, you dress nicely. You always you always look very put together, but you don't follow trends.
1: No, I don't. I I really try because I, well, I follow trends when I think they look good.
2: Yeah, like you you wear clothes that are dated to other decades, just yeah, without an issue, and you know they're they're tailored and clean and in a nice outfit, and you look good. You, I mean, you just wear up and wear suits from the 90s. If they like, if it looks good on you and it's nicely tailored and it's in a nice outfit, you don't care that it's a 90s pattern.
1: I just want to let everybody know that I don't wear suits from the 90s uh, because that was a horrible era of suits. Same with the 80s. Um, and Did the you, is, the, is
2: the suit that you wore to, um, I'm trying to think which, I think it was Rosh Hashanah last year.
1: No, that one was from the 70s
2: okay okay that's a fair. good
1: era i just want to make sure everybody knows that i don't wear like uh, uh uh men's like menswear from the 90s because that was like a a, a dark time period we don't talk okay about.
2: but my point <laughs> is Sorry. that suit that suit is dated yeah and, and i'm not saying you looked bad you looked great but you just do not care that it's not on trend you just care about thinking that you look good or like your music taste you don't care if music is trendy you care if you like it yeah so i feel like you would also have been one of these kids that's maybe a little bit immune to the social pressure at least like if 29 year old you was transported into this situation i don't know how you were when you were 16 17
1: oh in 16 17 i would have been insufferable (laughs) i would have like I, look, like, no. Sixteen,
2: seventeen-year-old you and sixteen, seventeen-year-old me would have hated each other.
1: Either that, or we would have been best friends. I like, there's no in between. No, like, there's I
2: zero in between.
1: If I, if sixteen, seventeen-year-old me got transported into the IFB, I would have gotten my ass beat daily by every adult who was legally allowed to beat my ass. <laughs> That's just fact. I just want to pop back to this, I, to like I, a kid who is maybe just transported into this, like like one of these fundy bus kids, because that's the only eyes that I can imagine seeing this through, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah. So there's the peer pressure of everybody else is doing this, but there's also the peer pressure of like, after this, we get to do fun stuff, but we're not done here until the preacher says we're done between those two things that generally bumps the participation up high enough that the preacher can just, like, go home and brag to his church about how many souls saved and how many co- people called to preach he had at camp, and we can all go do the fun stuff.
1: But if you if you surrender, or if you make a decision, I guess, as they call it, under duress, how is that seen as any different from, like, getting baptized as a baby? How is that, like, honest and sincere?
2: Well, it's not duress. It's you were fighting against the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit finally won. And then you have a testimony for testimony time because you can talk about how hard you were fighting against the Holy Spirit, but the power of God overcame you.
1: And so if you're a holdout and you make it like it makes you the center of attention and you finally after you finally just like acquiesce.
2: Okay, so if you don't give in to the pressure ever, you're now a bad kid. None of the good kids want anything to do with you. They will almost flat out ignore you because then you're a bad influence. Yeah. So, like, if I was at camp and there was a girl on my team for camp who was not surrendering to the Holy Spirit, I would be nice to her, but I would be very cold. Like, I wouldn't, she wouldn't be in my close friends group. I wouldn't be choosing to play games with her after chapel. She would very much be at an arm's distance, very, just very much keep her at a distance. Because if I let her be my friend at all, she will be a bad influence and take me away from God's will for my life. And I might miss God's will for my life because I was hanging out with somebody who's not surrendered to the Holy Spirit.
1: I am having so much difficulty trying to. Like, kids thinking about who is not isn't a good influence on them is so f***ing weird. Like, I, when I was a kid, there were kids that my parents wouldn't let me play with because they thought they were a bad influence on me. And really, those kids, like, probably had, like, ADHD or something, and they just didn't manage it well, so they were really rambunctious, and they got to play video games more than my parents thought was okay. But, that, like... That, that was never something that i was thinking about i was never just like i don't want to play with this kid because i think he'll be a bad influence on me that is so well, it's,
2: it's ingrained black and white thinking it's ingrained in group out group thinking it's the it's the <laughs> I eye it. in the bite model that has been trained into small children so if you don't give in you're a bad kid. If you do fight and fight and fight and fight and finally give in. Now you're a shiny new success story and all the preachers and the camp leaders get to brag about how hard, like how bad you were fighting the Holy Spirit. They might say that you were filled with demons or something, but they can talk about like how their camp fixed you.
1: But it, okay, it, is, this, is this attention good or is it bad? Because I feel like getting peer, pressure, like peer pressured and adult pressured is into doing something that you don't really understand or don't really want to do and then being heavily praised for doing that thing that would me that would make me feel extremely uncomfortable
2: the attention really isn't on you it's you don't really get attention you just get accepted into the main group of the kids so they say that the attention is on god for working in your life but in reality the attention is actually on the preacher who manipulated you successfully into doing what he wanted you, the actual human person, are almost completely overlooked as you are absorbed into the mainstream of all the other fundy kids.
1: I mean, like, I, I, like I, I'm, I, I don't know. I'm just having so much difficulty under, like...
2: A kid who didn't know anything about Jesus would not stumble into an IFB church camp. It's not something that you do on accident. So even the bus kids who come, or the kids whose parents are less sold out who come... They're almost always kids who have been going to the IFB church for a while. Because actual worldly teenagers, like an actual kid who like goes to public school and has been to an IFB church twice, is not going to be willing to go somewhere for a week without their regular clothes or a phone. The kids who are there are at least somewhat familiar with what's going on, usually. So, okay, can we get out of the trauma?
1: Yeah. Let's, Are we good let's, on trauma? Okay. okay. Let's, uh, fun stuff. I'm pretty What's sure going on? that
2: was the, I'm pretty sure earlier was the first time I've ever actually cried on Mike. Two years. So once you're good and cried out, you're re saved, you're re surrendered, whatever happened, it's time for another jarring transition into fun time.
1: It's cry night, cry night. Gotta get to, you gotta get saved on cry night. Oh, <laughs> well, that's good.
2: So some nights after chapel, we would just have canteen time. So we'd go to the, the little building, like a general store, but it's completely stocked with candy and snow cones.
1: Oh, uh, hey, that's good.
2: Oh, yeah. This was about the only time in my childhood and adolescence that I had access to buying a ton of candy. So I would buy a ton of candy. I had to stock up on atomic fireballs to get me through the whole year until camp came around again. I would get sent with like $20 for the canteen for the whole week and I'd spend like $10 of it on 10 cent atomic fireballs so that I'd have 100 atomic fireballs because <laughs> I really liked those as a kid. Um, This is sad poverty stuff, but I really liked those as a kid because they lasted really long.
1: Look, man, if they're good candy and they're 10 cents a piece, like
2: f- yeah. it,
1: man. like knock yourself out.
2: So also, uh, things that we would do after chapel. My camp had hay rides one night during the week. This was amazing. They would put us on a flatbed full of hay and the guy who drove the tractor that pulled the, tra- the flatbed was wild. They'd take us straight through cornfields. The corn is whipping at your face. Everybody's bleeding a little bit. All oh. the older kids would get assigned a younger, smaller, skinnier kid to hold on to their ankles so they didn't fly off. Sometimes get. Sometimes kids did fly off. Uh, there was a golf cart that followed behind the hayride to like scoop up the kids that fell off.
1: That sounds horrible and terrifying. <laughs> no,
2: it was amazing. God. Better than any roller coaster, especially if you were the kid who flew off because you land in a cornfield. It's soft. It's fine. <laughs> I feel like their insurance premiums must must have been through the roof, though. <laughs> so the the big fun activity after the last night of chapel, the night where everybody cries, was the counselor hunt. They would turn off all the lights on the entire campground, and all the counselors would hide. And you would get points for your team if you found them. And this was a really big deal because this was the last night to get points for your team, for the whole big team competition. Some counselors were less points and then some counselors were known for being really ridiculously good at hiding. There were guys who bought like military surplus equipment and camo and they were, there was this one guy who always hid up in a tree and it could be any tree on the entire campground and it's pretty big campground and he would go way up in a tree and he had like camo clothes and camel blankets, and he was so hard to find, and you would get like a 100,000 points if you managed to find him.
1: Okay, this sounds like a great time.
2: Yeah, it was great. I did realize years later that they turned off all the lights on the campground and then had us just split into like sex-segregated seg- groups, and then they just told us, don't interact with the opposite gender. Don't. Like, if you see a group that's the opposite gender, just stay a few feet away from them for your testimony. And then we just <laughs> did it. <laughs> like, we just said okay i don't want to ruin my testimony <laughs> i feel like like between that and the hayride i probably could have gotten away with some stuff if i wasn't so brainwashed
1: oh man yeah
2: anyway that is the story of my experiences at summer camp it was so much fun and so much trauma i
1: mean that's kind of the IFA way isn't it though they mm-hmm. take something even when something's fun they have to make it a bit traumatic they really do
2: so that leads me to my closing point here I want to end this one on a question, because I have come to the end of my stories about summer camp, and I just don't feel like I have a conclusion. And I would like to know how our listeners see this. So I think you could fairly look at everything I've said and say, well, everything about camp, the isolation and the rules and the building of prayers and chapel into every part of the day and the guilt and the Christian nationalism and the teams and the bonding with other kids, the competitions – All of this was crafted to make children and teenagers emotionally vulnerable so that they would be in a mental headspace to catch the religious hysteria and make big decisions in chapel. I also could see a valid explanation, though, that maybe this is just the only way the IFB knows to have fun. Because my experience was that this was actually fun. Maybe, could it be that the leaders had the intention of creating a great environment where kids would have a ton of fun and be able to connect with God. And they just don't know how to do connecting with God without trauma. So I would really love to know which one our listeners think it is, because I can really see it either way looking back on this experience.
1: I think you make a good point. This is the first time you've ever cried on Mike. About your experiences, like actually cried on mic while we're recording a podcast.
2: I am pretty sure this is the first time I've ever cried on mic.
1: If you can find like, like at least talking about you might have cried during our um, during the, the one about Elsa Garcia or that might have been yeah. me
2: so either either one or either one or both of us may have cried talking about Elsa's story. I also was recording with like a 6 week old baby in my arms. So yeah, that, that didn't help.
1: That was horrifying. But that was like but that wasn't talking about your experience. That was talking about somebody else's.
2: I am fairly sure this is the only time I've cried telling my own story.
1: But you're like but you're like this was my favorite thing about the summer. Was, it was. this thing that fucking emotionally manipulated fuck Yeah.
2: Yeah. This thing that like contributed so heavily to like my mental health issues now (laughs) was still one of the best parts of my life as a Fundy child.
1: Like, how do you have fun and be kids if your dealio, if your like whole dealio is built around kids being hyper disciplined mini adults and your 17 year old boys are walking around in white New Balances and they have like cell phone belt clips? Mm -hmm. How do you like, how do you, how do you have fun with those people?
2: Right. Well, the way you have fun is create an entire environment where your rules are just a given. And then if you're in an environment where it's hard, you have to break a rule on purpose and you're not going to break any rules on accident. It's kind of a playground for these kids. As much as the trauma is real, the fun was real, too. This was way more fun than being in church for like nine hours a day at youth conference. This was an old-fashioned, low-tech, inexpensive way to have an absolute blast, even within the rules. But was that manipulation, was the whole thing manipulation? Or was there a genuine desire to do something nice for the kids and teens who are usually pretty stifled growing up in this kind of environment? It's a fascinating question, and I don't feel like I'm able to answer it, so please let me know
1: wow this has been this has been an enlightening episode and also like a disturbing episode thank you all for listening
2: this Uh, might be the most fun and the most trauma that we've ever done in one episode unless maybe uh, maybe our our interview with elizabeth hunter that was also a lot of fun and a lot of trauma
1: i think that was more fun than trauma
2: that's true that
1: was that was a, a great interview no i uh Uh, Thank you for listening to our show. Please send us your how-to questions to our email, which is leavingedenpod at gmail.com, and we might answer them if we get enough to do a question and answer episode. And send
2: them by September 1st, please. The earlier the better, but by September 1st.
1: Yes, 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 yes. Uh, Thank you so much. Um, You can uh, join our Patreon for a very extended version of today's episode where we talk about a lot of things that – didn't make the streaming cut of this episode, uh, including, I don't know what a lot of fun stuff. Um, if you want to join our Facebook group where we, uh, have, where you can hang out with, uh, leaving Eden podcast fans have discussions about stuff that is, facebook.com slash groups slash Eden Exodus our subreddit is reddit.com slash r slash Eden Exodus if you want to follow the podcast on Facebook and Instagram it is at leaving Eden podcast on Twitter it is at leaving Eden pod Sadie do you want to plug your social media
2: sure you can follow me on Instagram at Sadie Carpenter music you can follow me on Twitter at hell Sadie and you can follow me on TikTok at Sadie Carpenter one
1: and you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at G-A-V-R-I-E-L-H-A-C-O-H-E-N. Thank you so much. You guys have a good day. Bye-bye. But old river time me in too many days No regrets, no